0: Uh, Matthew chapter fourteen uh, is an amazing chapter. There's lots going on, and it includes uh, perhaps one of the most memorable stories in all of the Bible. Is recorded for us right here in this particular chapter. It actually has the only instance in the Bible of. This particular story. Of course, I'm referring to that awesome moment, that amazing scene where Peter is walking on the water in the midst of a a torrential storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, It's an amazing scene. It's a riveting scene. It's a scene that's been used in all kinds of of Christian media and paintings and and all kinds of different art forms. And no doubt, whenever you think about it, if you just pause and and think about what's happening in this scene, Peter, the apostle, is walking on water. We should uh, just pause and let our jaws drop a little bit. And indeed, I think it's a beloved story. It's a memorable story, and no matter how many times perhaps we go back to it, it hasn't lost any of its meaning, any of its, any of its luster, any of its, uh, any of its attention. And We should pay attention to a story like this. Uh, just to set the stage, just so you can get in your mind's eye kind of what's happening here in this particular chapter. You might look back a couple of verses, and you'll notice that this event happens after Jesus' miraculous feeding of the five thousand. With just five loaves and two fishes, Jesus is able to make sure a whole host of people, men, women, and children, are, uh, are full. Uh, make sure they're satisfied. And then um, after this, this, this miracle, a, a miracle in every sense of the word, what occurs? Well... The crowd starts starts rumbling, they start spreading rumors, they start talking, they start chattering there 's all types of 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 news stories going around basically all of this this rumor the rumor meals uh, wheel starts starts going around and going around in fact, in the Gospel of John, the parallel chapter or the parallel story to this John chapter number six, it says that the crowd. Uh, were, were about to force themselves on Jesus to make Jesus their king on the spot. Their, their reaction to this miracle of being fed by this in this miraculous way is to sort of force Jesus into being their, their political leader, their political captain. And I think that, that's a really telling thing that, that we shouldn't pass over we shouldn 't pass over the fact that that immediately preceding this this miracle of walking on water is the miracle that is totally misconstrued and, and misunderstood. Jesus feeding a crowd and doing something that only someone from heaven should do is is greeted by this response hey you you should be our king you, sh- you should be our you should be our president, but because his mission jesus 's mission of course was not about. Fixing Israel's politics, nor was he interested in being the the new face of of a Jewish political campaign, so to speak. He does three things, and they're recorded for us in verse number twenty two. Notice Matthew fourteen twenty two. Immediately he said, "It says he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself." to pray he does three things trying to resist this uproar that's all that's almost happening this mob-like mentality that are that are trying to get jesus to enter into a life of politics instead what does he do he he shoves his 12 followers into a boat he says go sail to the other side and then he starts shooing away the crowd and then he isolates himself in prayer he gets alone with the father and prays and of course As we've talked about before and mentioned before, this is all due because of what? Well, the the Jews in this time period, in this first century sort of era, had totally misunderstood what the Messiah would do, what the Messiah would do when he arrives. Of course, they were familiar with all the prophecies, all the Psalms about the coming Messiah, the Lord's servant the lord's uh, the one sent from heaven except they they just thought that the messiah would be one to to come and, and help overthrow rome he would deliver them out of roman tyranny he would deliver them out of roman bondage and dominion but you see jesus more than just being a some sort of jewish freedom fighter jesus was m- more interested in in liberating far more people than just israel from far worse than just Roman tyranny and that's why it says immediately <laughs> less likely do also because his own disciples were among those who were like yeah dude why don't you Jesus <laughs> they were likely ones too who had misunderstood the moment could there be a better campaign starter than feeding 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fishes <laughs> talk about a platform But before any of Jesus' followers had time to sort of talk that through, to really wrap their minds around all of what they had just seen and witnessed and what had just occurred, suddenly they find themselves in a boat rowing across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And we can kind of infer from the text that their pl- the plan was that they would go to the other side and, and Jesus would go get off and, and do what he does <laughs> and-, and pray, and-, and then later they would meet up on the other side, perhaps in Bethsaida or in-, in Capernaum. But of course, as you know the story, as it happens, a horrible storm catches these These fishermen, these these bona fide sailors, these guys who are familiar with the water, they are caught horribly off guard by a horrible storm on the Sea of Galilee. Notice verse 24. It says, But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. This of course is a normal thing to occur on the Sea of Galilee. It's a a body of water that's known for these very severe, very very swift and very sudden storms that can come up and turn that whole body of water into something like a raging whirlpool. And the disciples, they're they're taking a beating. So much so that for all of their effort in here in Matthew chapter 14, it says they're still a long way off. If you go to John 6, you can read a little bit more details. John actually includes the note that they're about three to four miles out on the sea, which is roughly the exact middle of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is roughly about eight and a quarter miles wide in circumference, which is just to say they're in the middle of this thing. They're in the, in the middle of this body of water, and that's as far as they've gotten after a night of rowing. And now they're caught in this storm. And then it says in verse 25 that it's about the fourth watch. It's roughly three to six in the morning. They've been rowing all night. They are exhausted. They are so tired. They've been beaten in the face by all this rain and all this wind, and they've barely made any progress. And now it's about 3 in the morning. And that's when they see something. They see something in the distance. It says in verse 25, We know what it is. And in the fourth watch of the night, He, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. They see this shadowy figure. Kind of off out in the distance, they're not really sure what to think of of what it might be, but they see this 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 ghost-like figure walking straight towards them. I don't know about you, but my first thought wouldn't be, oh yeah, that's my that's my Lord. He's walking on the water. As he always does, you know. They are petrified. They're paralyzed. As it it says, it says they are struck with fear. They are terrified, it says literally. They're just paralyzed with fear. And I imagine this, like, bone chilling, like, cold feeling ran down their spines that had nothing to do with the water that was beating their faces. And now, not only are they rowing to try to save their own lives from this horrible storm that they've been suddenly caught in, but now, now this. Grim reaper like figure is in front of them, walking towards them. What would you ha- what what would be the first thought that goes through your mind? In fact, I we we kind of see kind of what goes through their mind, whether it's exhaustion or whether it's you know first century superstition, whatever it might be. They're like, it's a ghost. In my, in my mind's eye, there's no like, proof for this in text, but I just imagine uh, the, all the disciples suddenly start rowing backwards. <laughs> let's, let's go back, because <laughs> they're scared. Whoever this guy is, whoever this figure is, he's not friendly. And yet, in the middle of all that chaos, the, the chaos of the uh, disciples talking to each other, trying to figure out what this thing is that's walking toward them, figure out, what are they going to do, because they're still halfway to the other shore. What's the plan here? In the middle of all of that chaos and all of that noise, what did they hear? Well, in one of my favorite verses, they hear a very friendly, very familiar voice, verse 27. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. (laughs) Essentially, you could summarize Jesus' words to, Hey, it's me. Hey, it's Jesus. And the words of Jesus are both piercing and comforting at the same time. Because Jesus' voice is able to to cut through all the noise, all of the noise of the wind and the rain and the storm and the commotion and the chaos. And yet, his voice is booming through all of that. And yet, that booming voice also speaks words of just immense, amazing comfort. And these most reassuring words, Hey, don't be afraid. Don't fear. It's me. It's me. It's Jesus. And he comes up beside them. He comes up right up next to him. And he addresses them personally. Hey, you guys that I have called my friends. Hey, it's me. It's your friend. I think showing them just how attentive and just how attuned he was to the things that were tormenting these ones that he loved. This, by the way, is the part of the story that's recorded in the other Gospels. You can go to Mark chapter 6, you can go to John chapter 6, and you'll find this same section of Jesus showing up right next to his disciples, his soon-to-be apostles, and he is showing them that he is right there for them in the midst of what terrifies them, in the midst of what grieves them. And I think that's for a purpose. I think it's to show that ours, ours is a God who is mindful of us. It makes me think of Psalm chapter number 8, verse 4, where David is just praising the Lord, looking at the handiwork of God, the stars and, the, and all of the creation that God has spoken into existence. And he lets out that cry, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Well, here the disciples are given a very real example of what that looks like. You want to know what the mindfulness of God, the attention of God, the care of God looks like? It looks like Jesus walking up to the side of a boat that is rocking in the midst of a storm. And he says, don't be afraid. You see, the God of the Bible is a God who pays attention to all of the things that that grieve us that make us afflicted, that make us struggle. He knows about your crisis. Whatever, whatever crisis you may be trying to like stamp and, and put back into the back of your mind, God knows about it. He knows about that storm, that affliction, that struggle, that weight that you can't seem to get out from underneath of. He knows about it. And more than just that, not only does He know about it, He shows up right in the middle of it. This is Jesus. He is God. Come in the flesh to show us that ours, ours is not a God who stands on the beach and shouts to us motivation to try to to row better or shout instructions for how to swim harder. That's not our God. He doesn't stand on the shore as this uninvolved or disinterested deity. And he doesn't just stand there and shout to us, you better, you better do this or else. No, God in Christ shows up in the middle of our storms, in the middle of our nightmares. That's where he sets up shop. That's where he reveals himself. That's where he delights to show up. And that's where he reminds us. That he is the word of God come in the flesh, God's word incarnate. He himself, Jesus, is the word of God that assures us that God himself is with us no matter what form of adversity or suffering we might be enduring. That's who Jesus is. He's the, the seal of God's promise that he is with us through wind and rain. Through heartbreak and loss, through the, the losing of a job, through the breaking of a relationship, through a sudden financial shortfall, through whatever form of calamity or struggle or heartbreak that you could ever imagine, fill in the blank. Jesus is the approval and the promise that you need to remember that God is there in the midst of it. He was there for his disciples and he's still there now for you. I wonder, though, what the disciples, what these 12 guys in the boat were thinking right about now. As their Lord, their teacher, Jesus from Nazareth. He's walking on the sea. Just pause and think about that. A sea that's rocking, that's violent, that's raging, and he's walking across it. And leave it to Peter to speak up first. Look at verse 28. Jesus has just said to him, don't be afraid, it's me. Hey, it's your old pal, Jesus. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, how about you? That would not be my first thought. That would not be the first thing I would think of in the middle of a storm, in the middle of this moment where this ghost-like figure has suddenly just announced himself, oh, it's Jesus. I wouldn't be thinking... Hey, let me, let me come out onto the water with you. Let me come out and walk out there too. Really, if you stop and think about it, this is one of the most crazy requests in all of the Bible. A lot crazy. In fact, I, uh, this is not in the text either, but I imagine all the other 11 were like, Are you crazy, Peter? Are, do you know what you're saying right now? His first instinct... When seeing his Lord and Master walk on water is to, hey, can I join you out there? Only Peter, I think, would think of something like this. And it fits with his personality. It fits exactly with the, the personality of Peter that we're shown throughout the rest of the Bible. In fact, all of the rest of the Gospels kind of show us this, this guy, Peter, as being one who is very impulsive. He acts on gut instinct. He sort of is the type of guy that says stuff without really thinking about it first. Usually says stuff that perhaps all the other 11 are thinking, but they know enough to like just keep it in their heads. He's the one that just voices it out loud. That's That's Peter. And while I, I don't think that the other eleven were immediately thinking, "Hey, can I? Can we join you too, Jesus?" I imagine afterwards they were like, "Man, why didn't we think of that?" <laughs> I, 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 I again, I have no basis to say that, but I just in my own head, I'm imagining all the eleven, especially when Jesus says, "Yeah, sure, go for it." I imagine the other eleven are like, "Man, we should have thought of that," because Peter makes this daring request. Hey, Lord, if it's you. Command me to come out on the water with you. And then Jesus says, come. All right, go ahead. Go for it. (laughs) And again, uh, maybe I'm reading too much in the text, but I just, as as a human, I understand that Peter is also human, and I imagine that Peter had to stop and be like, man, I did not expect that. (laughs) I I highly doubt that Peter was expecting Jesus to to respond so quickly and to respond in the affirmative, to be like, yeah, sure, join me. And now what is Peter going to do? He can't be like, oh, I was just joking. Never mind, I, I don't actually want to do it. Now he has to get out of the boat. Now he has to sort of put his money where his mouth is. And he has to actually step out of a boat in the middle of a storm and walk on the water. Because his Lord says, yeah, you can do it too. Go ahead, go for it. And so, verse number 29 again. He said, come, so just stop and just chew on these words. So Peter got out Of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. (laughs) Imagine what was going through the minds of all the other disciples who were still in the boat. You've been rowing all night, you are exhausted, you are tired, (laughs) you are so just ready to be done with this whole ordeal. You've been smacked around by wind and by rain, and in the middle of all that, Jesus shows up. This Jesus from Nazareth, a teacher in Galilee, shows up walking on water, and now your beloved friend Peter, he's walking on water too? What is happening right now? But of course you know the story, as Jesus is beckoning Peter to come, and Peter is on his way towards Jesus, we know what happens. Verse number 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. As he's walking, suddenly, all of the storm, he remembers it again. He looks around and he sees all of the conditions. The conditions never changed, by the way. It was just as horrible of a storm when he got out of the boat than when he was in the middle of the water with nothing around him, just his Lord in front of him. The same storm was going on, and yet suddenly his focus shifts from Jesus to all of the wind and to all of the waves and to all of the rain and to everything going on around him. His attention goes and shifts to all the tidal waves. He feels all the wind, all of the terrible conditions and all of those things suddenly become more real to him than the Lord who was standing right in front of him. And that's when he begins to sink. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink so much that he cried out, Lord, save me. He starts drowning. The same water that was before, just a minute ago, uh, functioning like pavement underneath his feet, is now liquid and he's drowning. Now, interestingly enough, if you scour all kinds of commentaries and sermons on this particular chapter, I can't tell you how many preachers will harp on the point that this is Peter's failure. They'll, they'll go to great lengths to show that that. that here, This is to, somewhat to Peter's shame here. and In fact, if you examine, uh, as I have, more than likely all these commentators will point out, they'll go to great lengths to show that this was a request of Peter that was made in haste, that was made in overconfidence, and that was made in pride. That in fact, Jesus never really wanted him to make this request to get out of the boat and to walk on water. And in fact, because of Peter's arrogance, these preachers will say, that's why Jesus let him sink. To teach Peter a lesson, so to speak, to teach Peter that he shouldn't make over zealous, over hasty requests of God. And in fact, maybe that last part is true about Peter learning his own weakness, but I don't think we have to diminish this moment in order to get there because I don't think this story, by the way, is meant to shame Peter. I don't think we need to learn from the story Man, Peter should have just stayed in the boat Actually, if we're to learn anything If this story shames anyone It shames the eleven who stayed in the boat They're the ones who I think should be Learning the truest lesson From this whole event See, we often get so focused On Peter sinking That I think we forget That he's the only person In the history of the world Besides Jesus To walk on water And he did it twice have you ever caught that before? Look at verse 31 again. It said, or verse yeah, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! He's drowning, and he cries out for help. Jesus, save me! And so Jesus, it says, immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And notice, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So you have to catch what's happening. Peter got out of the boat, started walking, noticed the storm and started drowning. Jesus raises him up and brings him and makes him stand on the water. They're a couple of yards we can imagine away from the boat and they are in the midst of a raging storm. And there G- Peter is again standing on water with Jesus, hugging him, embracing him. And that's where Jesus says, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And then they walk back to the boat together. <laughs> They go back, and once they get into the boat again, both of them, Peter and Jesus, that's when the wind ceases. (laughs) Peter walks on water twice. If Jesus wasn't a fan of Peter's initial request, I doubt he would have let him do it twice. (laughs) I doubt he would have let him do it the second time. Jesus And in fact, we can make the same point from another standpoint. Because after Jesus rescues Peter, what does he reprimand him for? Does he say, see, I told you, Peter, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have made that request. What a boneheaded move by your part. You shouldn't have made that request to walk on water. What does he reprimand him for? Oh, you of little faith. And the way I read that it is, is if you had stayed focused on me, you would have made it out to me. (laughs) It's worth noting, I think, that Peter's faith is called little. Little faith. It's one word in the Greek. But we have to note, too, that I think that Jesus is not saying that Peter's faith was too small. Oh, you of little faith, I, I, I don't think it's a rebuke of the size of Peter's faith. Actually, it's a rebuke of its duration, if I can say it that way. Because it takes... I don't know about you. It takes a heaping pile of faith to ask for what Peter asked for, to get out of a boat in the middle of a storm and walk on water. It, the size of Peter's faith wasn't the problem. It was really just his faith couldn't hold on long enough. He got distracted. He got, his focus shifted. His gaze was drawn to something else. He couldn't hold fast long enough. You see, the point is, If the size of our faith is what mattered most, then Jesus would have never said what he says in the very next chapter, that all it takes is faith the size of a mustard seed and you can move mountains. Peter didn't walk on water because his faith was so big and so strong in and of himself. He walked on water because his faith was in Jesus Christ. That was his object. That's what he was looking to. He said, Lord, if you command me, I can can walk on water with you. And he said, yes, you can. See, the story of Peter's almost drowning is not one that teaches us to stay in the boat. (laughs) This is a story that teaches us what faith looks like. And also, what it tells us the good news for what happens when faith fails. What does faith look like? Faith looks like Peter stepping out of a boat in the middle of a storm. Faith is a daring confidence, a confidence that dares to trust in who God is. That's what faith is. It's a faith that believes so much in who God has shown himself to be and through his word and by his spirit, and it dares to trust in him no matter what, no matter what is happening around us. See, Peter acted in a faith because he trusted his Lord. His only failure, the only reason why he sinks, is because he couldn't hold fast long enough. And that's, that's sort of the point that I think Jesus wants to show him and the other, other 11 and also us. Because you notice, Jesus only corrects Peter after he rescues him, after he's safe and sound. Which I think, again, evidences the posture of God to this world. God's word to us, God's word to us in Christ is not, hey, Get your act together, and then I'll think about loving you. Hey, uh, once you clean some things up and fix some things in your life, that's, that's when I'll come and reach my hand out and rescue you. No, I love this scene because Peter, all he has to, all he can get out before he starts drowning is, hey, Lord, save me. And it says, immediately, Jesus' hand was there. See, God's word to us is just like that. What does the gospel tell us? The gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 11. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, this is what Jesus's uh, posture to us reveals about God's posture to the world. He shows up, Jesus does, as the divine demonstration that God loves us so much. And he loves us, yes, even while we're drowning Romans 5.8, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we're stumbling and falling, even while we're drowning and we're starting to sink, that's where Jesus shows up. That's where God shows up in Jesus. And he says, I'm right here, and he, I'm always going to be there. Job chapter 9 verse 8 has this wonderful phrase where it talks about God treads upon the waves of the sea. And that's Jesus. Jesus is God coming in the flesh, treading upon the waters, treading upon the waves of the sea to rescue and redeem those who are drowning. You see, I think that's the point of the story. One of them at least. Is that whatever is surrounding us, whatever storm is happening in our lives, wherever we find ourselves, God never just casts us off. He doesn't just throw us a life preserver and say, hey, take care of yourself. He shows up and he reaches out his hand. And for us, it's a hand that still bears the marks of the cross. And he reaches out and rescues us. Because you see, like Peter, we are just like Peter. As, as perhaps as strong as our faith is at times, it's, all, it's not strong enough. We can't hold fast long enough. And that's the point. None of us can. And yet, when we don't hold fast or when we can't hold fast, what's the good news? Christ always holds fast to us. His faithfulness to us always succeeds in all of the places where our faith fails. He always shows up when we're spitting and drowning and wallowing and suffering. When we're at our wits' end, immediately Jesus reaches out His hands and raises us, raises us back up. You see, I think the story teaches us both things. It teaches us, yeah, to step out in faith and to dare to step out of the boat. <laughs> and it also teaches us that when we do and when we stumble and fall, it's not a sign that that's outside of God's will. It's a sign... That there's a better Savior who is holding on to us. Better than our ingenuity. Better than our wit. Better than our wisdom. Better than our glory. Better than our strength. Is the strength and the glory and the wisdom of God Almighty. Come in Christ who has come to rescue drowning sinners. For drowning for eternity. That's what God in Christ has done. That's what I think this story shows us. Peter walking on water should make us marvel. It should make us marvel at the God who calls us out in faith. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will always be there for you. No matter what you're going through this morning, church, your Savior is with you in the midst of the storm. In the middle of it all, you have a God who is there. A God who holds you fast. Let us pray.